have a Bible with you, turn to um, 1 John, the book of 1 John. It's one of the last books in the Bible, um, right before Revelation almost. Uh, 1 John. And we've been doing a, a series called Authentic, and we've been looking at what is involved, what composes an authentic Christian life, an authentic Christian living. And uh, it's interesting, we talked about this a little bit before, this was probably um, the last book written in the Bible. The book of Revelation was probably written before 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John was written, which is uh, kind of an interesting uh, thing. But, um, but this is what was going on in John's day. He was the sort of the elder over a group of churches in a land, uh, part of the, the country uh, called Ephesus, a big city, and there was a big, broad area of churches he was overseeing. And in those churches, in those areas, there were a lot of error going on, a lot of misteachings, a lot of, of mixing of Christianity with other religions and other thoughts, and there were uh, things like the ethics of Christianity were being compromised, the truths of the Christian faith were being compromised. And so what John is doing is writing about what really is authentic about the Christian faith. What is authentic Christianity? We talked about this, how authentic means to uncover. It means to sort of peel the paint off a piece of wood and get down to the real wood grain. And what John's trying to do is, in the, to these, this audience, is get down to what is the real wood, What's, what is underneath the pain of all the other things you're hearing going on to what really is authentic and genuinely Christian? And one thing he talked about, and if you, if you read John, he, he writes in a very circular way. He'll write about something, and then he'll go on to something else, then he'll come back to these topics, and he writes very circular. So it's kind of, when you read him, you kind of, you'll read, if you read First John through, you'll read it and go, okay, and then he'll, oh, I think he said that, and then you kind of go, I think he said that again. And what he, he does over and over again is says, he reiterates different things um, in different ways all throughout his letter. But some of the things that he reiterates when he talks about truths, we looked at this the first week, there's three of them that he really hits hard on. Number one is who Jesus is. And he makes a point that the Jesus he knew personally, that he saw, that he touched, that he heard, and he heard what Jesus talked about. He was, and he describes him this way, he was the eternal life appearing. He was God manifest, the eternal, infinite, timeless God manifest in time and space and matter and as a human. And then he goes on and he talks about, that's, that's a critical truth, and he talks about what Jesus did. And what Jesus did, although he was a great teacher, he was a great example. He was a lot of great things. He makes the case, very important case, that the primary thing Jesus did was to atone for our sins. That you and I would be purified and cleaned and cleansed completely of our sins. They'd be washed away. And the third thing he talks about when he talks about Jesus and his appearing is that he also empowers us to live different lives. He says things like, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He talked about having eternal life abiding within us and God's life abiding within us through faith in Christ. And so those are three critical doctrinal things to understand. Jesus is God, that he cleanses us of our sins, and he lives in us and empowers us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that the first week. 
And then last week we looked at what really is genuine Christian spirituality. What does it mean to be genuinely spiritual as a Christian? You know, there's a lot of things we could do, you know, and there's a lot of, of uh, a lot of times we think it's the way we worship, the expression of our worship. Some would think genuinely Christian worship is to recite creeds, or, uh, and that's certainly fine to do. Uh, some would be to jump up and down when you're singing, and that's certainly fine to do. But when, when we talk about what is genuinely, authentically Christian spirituality, it is one thing. It is when we calibrate our lives to God's word. Everything else is icing. But a human being that says Jesus is their Lord and they calibrate their lives to God's word, that is genuine spirituality. And so John talks about this process and what it means is we, 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 we accept God's word for what it is. He talks about how you and I, we all need to confess our sins. I don't know if you've, you've noticed this, but when you make a commitment to calibrate your life to God's word, you're not instantly perfect. Anybody notice that? You still sin, you still flaw. But, but what it is not to do is, is to just sort of ignore our flaws, to ignore our sins and just push them aside and say, well, it's no big deal. No, we, we really deal with our sins. We confess our sins. We understand he's faithful and he's just to forgive us. And we understand that he cleanses us. And so calibrating our life around God's word is that process. It's you and I making a commitment that God's word is the final say in our lives. <clears throat> when we see ourselves not living up to it, we're honest with ourselves. We confess our sins. And we understand that when we do that, he cleanses us. And we are really clean. And that's a powerful dynamic. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Christian spirituality. So this one, I want to do this. And I want to be kind of brief this morning. But I want to look at a couple passages I want to scan together. And then just make some comments about them. And, 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 and three points that John makes, again, throughout this letter, over and over again, he comes back to this one topic. And this topic is love. Authentic Christianity loves people. Authentic Christians, authentic believers love other people. They love one another. They love their world. That's authentic, and he's going to talk about this. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul called love the most excellent way. Let me read this to you real quick. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, here's how he describes love. <coughs> he says in verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. That is how we are to live. That is the excellent way. That is the way of the believer, to be patient, to be kind, to not envy, to not boast, to not be proud, to not dishonor others, to not be self-seeking, to not be easily angered, to keep no records of wrongs. To not delight in evil, rejoice in the truth, to always protect, trust, hope, and always persevere. John, as he describes love, and he follows the contours, does a couple spots we want to look at. Look at, if you have 1 John chapter 3, let's look at verse 14. 1 John three fourteen. 
And here's what John writes, and he says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who, does, who, anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Verse 8, dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And just following this passage a little bit, look at some of these things. Verse 14, he says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love. And he goes on to say, if, you know, if anyone does not, anyone hates somebody, he says they're a murderer. And he uses this phrase here in verse 15. If that's the case, he says eternal life can't be residing within you. And what John really understands fundamentally here is something powerful happens to somebody who receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They go from death to life. Their internal nature changes. They are no longer what they used to be. And he says that if that has happened, one of the ways we can know we have a new soul, we have a new life, is because we love one another and we don't hate people. And he actually uses the word, what does he call somebody who hates others? A what? A murderer. A murderer. We, don't, we aren't murderers. We don't hate. And, and to be bitter and to be resentful, literally it's like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. And he's saying this is not what we do. And you go on here and he, he talks in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for each other. What is love? Laying down one's life for the other. When we give ourselves up for the other. And he goes on here. And if you, if you read uh, verse 17, he talks practically here. If you see somebody in need, he talks about not having pity on them. And literally what it means in the Greek is you don't open up your heart to them. You see somebody has a, really, a, a need and they're really struggling. And you don't even open up your heart. He says, come on. How can a God who would do something like give his son for sinful people live in your life. How can that be? And he goes on here and he, he finishes up and he says, hey, look, let's do this, guys. Dear children, let's not love in just words or speech, but let's love with actions and in truth. It means really, let's truly love people. Let's, let's look at another one, 1 John chapter 4 where he comes back and he circles about love. And he says something, almost the same thing, but he reiterates it in a, in a different way. And let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It's our inspiration. 1 John 4, verse 7, he says again, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God. Again, this idea that we are, if we're loving, we're born of God, we've come from him. Uh, he goes on in verse 8, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Let's say that together. God is love. One more time. 
God is love. You know, in the entire realm of religion, if you were to go back in history, when this was written, and you would look at every religion that had ever existed, all the pagan religions, all the pagan deities, there is no such thing as a God who loved or God who was loved. This is absolutely unique to the Christian faith and to Jesus. God is love. That is the unique thought, particularly unique thought about uh, God that comes from Christianity. God is love. And he goes on to talk about that. And he says, this is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son. This phrase is used nine times in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. The one and only son. It's, and it's used to emphasize the, the specialness, the uniqueness of his son. Giving, he didn't just give up a son. He gave up his one and only son. Does anybody have a one and only possession in your life? Just something that's very, very precious to you? you know, that versus something where you have multiples of is a whole different thing. I, I have a, a weird uh, thing I do. I, am, I, I like um, cross pens. Anybody know what a cross pen is? These are really excellent pens. I learned about these in college. And um, I, whenever somebody comes on our church staff... Uh, the only thing we give them is a cross pen. They all get a cross pen. In fact, two of them just came in for two of our new staff members this week. Two new cross pens. Uh, and I just give everybody, because it's a really nice pen. It's a great writing instrument. It doesn't smear like other inferior pens with their inferior inks. It literally doesn't. Um, and a cross pen is the, is the gold standard. It's the exceptional pen. And so um, if I were to give you a, uh, the, the thing is, oh, in time, I will do this. Like at the end of the year, I'll go, I'll get online and they'll have, the cross pins will have them for sale, like 70% off. So I might buy one or two cross pins. And I've, over time, I got probably 10 cross pins that I own. Now, if, if I gave you a cross pin, one of my cross pins, you'd go, hey, you know, that's a pretty nice gift. But, you know, I got nine others. It's not my one and only. When you give somebody your one and only, you are really generous. And he's, saying, and he's saying, this is what love is like. It's really depicted in God giving his one and only son for us. And, and he goes on here, if you continue to read in 1 John 4, um, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete. Again, there's a really interesting thought in there. You know, you, you, human beings can't see God. But if God is love, how do they see God? They see it when people who've been touched by him and changed by him love them. That's how it does it. And he says, and John goes on and says, you know, in this way, God's love is made complete in us. You know, it's a process to be a lover. It's a process to really be governed by God's love. Now, let me just kind of, in looking through these two passages and scan them, let me just give you three things to think about. And I want to close up with just a real, three really uh, thoughts I want you to think about that are, that are related to love. Number one thing about God's love is there is a dynamic involved. There's a dynamic involved. And 
human love is, is one thing. When we hear, you know, TV and the whole thing about loving one another, it's basically the, when, the, when you hear the popular notion of love, you know what love means? Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. Don't get in my way. Just love me. Leave me alone. That's, that's what it means. And that is not love. That's not love. Love is dynamic. Love is, is, is something God, it's a result of God planting himself within us and transforming our lives and transforming our hearts. When we read the New Testament, we see that, that all the New Testament writers understood human beings to be from one or two lineages, one or two nations, one or two races of humanity. They're either part of the Adamic race, which is natural humanity, which is born selfish, it's born a grasper and a taker and a warner, or they are born again of Christ. And if we are born again of Christ, our nature changes. And we're no longer a grasper and a taker, but we are givers and we are lovers. And so to live a life of love, that dynamic has to take place in our heart. And that dynamic needs to be energized and fueled and fed. And as it is, we will live out a life of love. Now, the second thing that is John brings over and over again when he talks about love is that there's a prototype for love. Love has a prototype. And the prototype for love is in Christ God giving his son and his son's death for our sins. And the prototype is literally can be summed up in this phrase. You instead of me. You instead of me. Someone who loves somebody else is telling that person, you instead of me. You know, when a parent is giving to their kids and you know, struggling, but they're giving to them and they're wanting what's best. What they're basically saying is your future is more important than my future. You instead of me. And we understand that with, with a family, but, but here's, what, here's what the New Testament tells us to do, to be authentically spiritual. It is to take that and live it out in our lives toward one another. You instead of me. You instead of me. In Philippians, Paul writes, let this mindset be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, and being equal with God was not something he even had to try to be, he humbled himself, became a servant, and he, he took on the form of a servant. He talks about Christ's descension into death. And really, as he goes on there, he says, you know what, this is really what makes a life great. It's not accumulating, it's not having, it's not achieving or possessing. What really makes a life great is what you do with it. And what Jesus did with what he had was he gave, he emptied himself for the sake of others. He basically said, you before me. If you're on an airplane and it's going down and there's two people on the plane and there's one parachute, it's you instead of me. And to have that in our guts, toward people, is what authentic Christianity is all about. 
And if you kind of read that prototype a little bit, one of the things they kind of pull out about this prototype of what love is, is that, you know, John says, it's not that we loved him, it's that he loved us. It's not that we did anything to provoke love or earn love or gain love. He loved despite us, not because of us. And that's the prototype. You before me, not because of you, but despite you. That's love. That's love. And the third thing he talks about there is when we talk about love, it's, it's, it's not just dynamic and not just that prototypical of Christ, but the, the third thing about love is that it's concrete. You know, I mean, John just says, hey, look, don't just say, slap somebody on the back. He says, look, do something. Do something real. Love has to be concrete. It has to be acted out. It has to be done. For, for Christianity to be, to be authentic, there have to be real, concrete, sacrificial expressions of love. It's college students who go out every, every Sunday and feed the homeless, clothe the homeless, put blankets on them, and do Bible studies together. So when I see young people that are in college that are remembering their high school days and they get involved in ministry to go reach high school students and give their lives, their college days, really to reaching high school students and bringing them to Christ. So when I see an ER doc, the head ER doc of a local hospital who's burdened for the homeless, who gives up his great job and his great career to go and, and serve the underserved in our community. So when I see people adopting kids, when I see a single mom take in a foster children to, to to over and over again to take care of kids that have needs and to minister to them and see the love of God in them. You know, it's over and over again. It, it is, this is concrete love, and it's what God's called us to do. It's not just love in theory, not just love in motions, but to love in real life, in real ways, in real impactful ways. And that is the, the gritty authenticity of the Christian walk. A lot of times we think of love as being some soft, sort of evasive thing, and it's not. It's gritty, and it's tough, and it's hard. And as John said, it's something we've got to be made complete in. It takes work. It takes effort. It's not natural to human beings. But it's well worth it. And, and what John says is so powerful and so true. Nobody's ever seen God. The world certainly has never seen God. But when they see God enveloping lovers, born-again lovers, in those moments, in those acts, God's truly seen. You and I have an incredible opportunity in our lives. It is to help people that don't know Christ, truly, genuinely see who God is. It's powerful, isn't it? Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we, just, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you that you loved us. We thank you that others have loved. I do. I'm just very thankful that others have laid down their life for me. And I pray you'd give us courage and grace to lay down our lives for others, not just to love in word and in speech, but to love in action and to love in truth. We thank you for the example of Christ. We pray you'd make that just our ethic and our guide and our compass into how we live our lives and how we interact with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.